2: You happen to be listening. We're so glad you have chosen to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week. Hey, are you registered to vote? We're getting down to the nitty gritty. This is it. This is the last week. There are still just a few days. Some states, you can still register to vote in time for November 8th's big election. Please let your voice be heard. Geeks who speak are very important this year. We want the gamer voice to be loud and clear. So if you have not voted yet, head over to vote.org, register to vote, and make your voice heard. DLC is on the air, and it is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be. And that's completely free thanks to our sponsors this week Casper, Mac Weldon, And Linode, they made that possible, bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games in their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who always stands creepily behind me, gripping my chair. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello Christian.
0: Hey Jeff, my daughter's body is banging.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Way to stay on message there Christian. Um hey, I'm so excited this week. Um you know, it's always great when there is a Canadian holiday. It's always my favorite time because that means we get to dip into a deeper a pool of guests, (laughs) some of my favorite guests who are only available to us during Canadian holidays, you know that DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week it's Canadian Thanksgiving, which means we get to have DLC stand for Diversions and Labors combined again, because from gamerswithjobs.com and the Gamers with Jobs conference call podcast, our friend, Mr. Sean Andrich is back with us. Hey, Sean.
1: Oh, hey guys! What a what a pleasure to be back.
2: Oh, thank on you. On this
1: wonderful Thanksgiving in Canada, uh, I am thankful that you guys opened with uh, hilarious presidential election jokes.
2: Yeah, that's what we just, do.
1: We are loving it up here in Canada. <laughs> it's been just so good so far. It's been so good, very entertaining and terrifying. Mm, <laughs> I- yeah
0: terrifying really more than entertaining is 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 the problem for me but yes go ahead christian sean can i ask a? I mean this is a very u.s centric and ignorant question but yes. like you guys have to call our thanksgiving american thanksgiving right like we're not such jerks globally that you refer to your own thanksgiving as canadian thanksgiving like you just uh, did that- you're just doing that to placate us
1: I'm just doing that for the just contextually for the people in the in the virtual room here right now. We just call it Thanksgiving.
0: Thank God. October, I was like, what months. did we do to you guys?
2: <laughs> no, they call it Canadian they call it uh American Christmas. And uh, <laughs> we own everything. Um I wanna at right at the top of the show, before we get into anything else, I wanna thank uh numerous, numerous people who sent us emails this week. Uh, of support. I had talked about how, you know, we talked a little bit about Palmer Lucky and uh, made our voices very much heard on that topic. And there was a lot of um, negative feedback that came in after that. We talked about that a little bit last week. And boy, there were so many incredibly nice emails of support saying that, hey, guys, we appreciate you uh, speaking from the heart and, and ta- tackling that issue and not avoiding it. Uh, so thank you. Each and every one of you who sent emails to us this week, because we got a whole bunch of them. I would mention specific names, but there's really too many. So that's, it made us feel very good and I appreciate it. Um, And you can always send emails of of good or bad comments. Uh, We appreciate your feedback. You can always send those to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. But let's get into the show. I'm excited. We got, oh my gosh, we got so much to talk about. There's news, but... I'm really most excited about talking about games. We've got Mafia 3, we've got Gears of War 4, we've got more Forza Horizon, we've got Mario. Ah, the our, It's Thanksgiving and it's a cornucopia. We got a bounty overfloweth. So let's get into the beginning of the show with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Great community there of cool people to hang out with. Uh, Sean, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Uh, What do you consider your story of the week?
1: Uh, you know, I think the story of the week for me is probably going to be the Oculus Connect three, uh, just because there's honestly there hasn't there hasn't been a lot else jumping out at me this week that was really exciting. But Oculus Connect had some really interesting stuff uh, in their announcements. Uh, some new games. Uh, we finally got our announcement for the uh, for the for the touch controllers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Jeff, am I right? Did you open? Did you do you have those controllers? I do. I'm a little behind, so I don't know if uh, you've already talked about it. Um, but, uh, so I thought that was really interesting to finally get that announcement, that release date, new, new headphones for the Oculus is kind of interesting. Um, and, uh, and I, and I, there's two really important things out of Oculus connect that I think are really cool other than the games, touch controllers, things we already kind of knew about one that Oculus is working on basically a headset. That's not tied to a PC where the Mm PC is actually part of the actual headset. That's really exciting. Um and then the other thing I think is really interesting is the new uh what what are they called a synchronous space warp?
2: <laughs> yeah. word, von Catch phrase, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's more exciting than um Vive has something that's not quite as good apparently but similar and they just call it reprojection.
2: Right. And I think actually that uh Nvidia themselves are working on uh, a similar technology. Everybody is is racing to find ways to uh, to um, optimize VR graphics because we need such high frame rates to make it a non-puke machine. Everybody needs to find ways to uh, you know lower the cost of entry for this stuff, make it so that lower-end computers can can run the software and optimize the frame rates so that you, you can you can have better graphics on a lower-end spec. And this is going to be another. Uh, this is Oculus's version of that. As you said, it's called Asynchronous Space Warp. Basically, it means uh, that you can run games at 45, or really anything, at 45 frames per second, and then it doubles the frame rates and um, makes it you know smoother so that you don't have to have any kind of motion sickness, because usually you need 90 frames per second. So that... The end result of that is that they're offering these uh, Oculus-ready PCs that are at a much lower price point because they can be much less powerful computers. They talked about a four ninety-nine or three ninety-nine, was it uh, four hundred dollar computer that? Um, oh, I guess it was four ninety-nine, five hundred dollar computer that uh, can run Oculus, which I think is an important place for for the for the technology to be for people to be able to jump in at a basically a console price point, and and it's similar to technology that the PSVR is reportedly using to increase frame rates there to make it a little smoother experience. Uh, so I think that's a really positive thing, as, as as you said, and I'm anxious to see how it's going to work and if it's actually going to be implemented on higher-end machines as well or if they're going to make the computers use their horsepower or if they're going to actually use that to you know, make better graphics at a lower frame rate and just use the tech to double the frame rates.
1: I, I think it makes for a really confusing space in VR right now because... Uh, there's a few things at play. Actually, if you own an Oculus and you have an NVIDIA card, there are some hacks you can do. You can change your registry entry and actually try it right now. So it is something you can actually give it a shot yourself. The issue with Vive is that um, the issue with Vive is reprojection. When that kicks in, basically when you start dipping below 90 frames, in order to save you from feeling like you want to hurl everywhere, it'll, drop the, it'll basically make things smoother at a lower frame rate. On the Vive, the problem is that when reprojection kicks in, you lose the sense of presence. Yeah, Uh, It it really reduces that quite a bit, and that's part of the whole point of VR. If you don't feel like you're in the room and everything feels kind of flat, you might as well be playing on a screen at that point. So Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing from people is a synchronous space warp. It doesn't have quite the same hit, and so it keeps your motion smooth, but what some people are saying is that Movement of like NPCs, things going on on the screen can look kind of funny. Um, So there's a lot of interesting stuff. I think if they start developing with a 45 frame rate target in mind, I think it's going to hurt VR's impact a little bit. Uh, And that's a little bit of a concern. And it kind of muddies the water too. Like, I Mm -hmm. think it's fine as a fallback position, but Oculus positioning this as, well, now that we've gotten it, so it's at least workable at 45 frames, we can sell you cheaper PCs that can run it. I think the possibility then becomes we're sort of uh, cutting off our nose to spite our face because all of a sudden the experience is not going to be that same super immersive experience that we've been experiencing. And people have that first wow moment when they put on the Vive, like I've run or on the Oculus, I've run so many people, so much, so many family members who have no interest in technology into my Vive. And that sense of presence just they come out of that thing like they're they're. It's almost like their perspective on the world has shifted, yeah, a little bit. Almost as if, like, wait, so that wasn't real. Is this real? Like, they it almost <laughs> like you could like think like, you know, that you know, you're really high in college, you just watch The Matrix, yeah, yeah, um, kind it's of a feeling, you know, and all that is is a piece of technology they put on their head. So, if I'm if your first exposure to that's going to be at 45 frames a second. It's not going to be as good as ninety, even if they do have tricks to alleviate that somewhat.
2: What is your go-to uh, first experience for for family members?
1: It's funny because it really depends on the person. I actually look at my library and I look at who's going to try it, and then I go from there. So I I actually end up going into um, what is it called the blue? Yeah, um, I use that all the time. It's a I great use one it all the time for kids because yeah. kids. They love it. You don't need to move around a lot, which is good because if you're, let's say, eight years old and under, you're going to forget that you're not in a real place and you're going to start walking into things. (laughs) Uh, Or my five-year-old nephew was so scared. He basically sat on my lap the whole time. Uh, Like not scared, but like he was interested, but nervous too. So um, that was really cute. So I like the blue because, and things do respond to you a little bit when you get close to them, like little like sea plants will open and close. And that's a good one for that. Uh, For older people, I like to, put people into the lab, if they're gamers, I'll take them to longbow. Mm-hmm. And if they're, uh, if they're just like my uncle, who's in his fifties uh, at this point, um, I put them into that, that shopkeeper one in the lab. Oh, right. Yeah. Because you're standing in a room, somebody talks to you, you don't need to interact a lot. If you don't have video game language, it's like a nice little half step. Cause you can interact with some stuff. But it's just it's gentle, right? So it really just depends on on
2: who it is and what they're into. Yeah, the first time that that guy walks into the room in in that uh, you know little storefront place, and there's like, oh my god, there's a person in here. It's a pretty amazing experience.
1: Yeah, it's that eye contact thing. Like yeah, the, it's it's a sense of eye contact, and that's why presence is so important. And if you're if your frame rate's not as good, and if you're make doing tricks to try and keep it keep it all running smoothly. If you lo- like, I'm just afraid if you lose that, it's going to feel more like you're playing a game in a theater, and the screen is really big, but you're yeah. not necessarily your brain isn't going to be tricked well enough that you're actually in it.
2: Yeah, I think you make excellent point there, and I and I hope that they maintain the uh, you know high end target, and uh, but I do think that it needs to be accessible, and I think they understand the the need to have the market be a little wider than this crazy high end. PC market right now, uh, and that, talking about that standalone headset, they're talking about it being between those two, the two existing places for VR, which is you know mobile for basically you know a hundred bucks on your on your cell phone, and this high end eight hundred dollar experience. Are you excited for a standalone product like like they showed? Uh, you know, it's not a product yet, but you know cl- clearly they're working on it.
1: Oh, huge. I, I think getting rid of cords is going to be massive because uh, that, that's one of the – I think as soon as you make something that's standalone, th- there's two elements I think that need to go away in order for this to take the next step. Uh, we need to be able to walk around without any cords uh, and we need to also get, get rid of room scale sensors, needing right. to have these separate things and basically locking a room down for VR. And I'd rather have the helmet have enough cameras or some sort of infrared peripheral on the helmet itself – and it's it's a hard thing because so it needs to be light as well that can basically make sure you don't run into anything and still give you that same I'm not going to run into stuff protection but yeah. lets you move freely so I could be I could be in any room in the house or I could even be walking around be in VR and still feel like I have like I'm safe to do so and I'm not nervous about it yeah um, I am super excited about that though I think that's the next step like if you watch I don't know if you like you look to sci-fi right like one of my favorite guilty pleasures is watching this anime called Sword Art Online. Mm. And and it the whole story is like people get trapped in VR basically and it's VR MMO and you know, their bodies are alive but they're stuck in the VR and if you die in the MMO the headset blows up and kills you. It's it's a silly concept, but when they put these helmets on, they're free floating helmets. They can lay in their bed and they have full control using their mind. They feel like they're really in there and they have full movement and everything else. I think I think mind control is a little ways off, but I think getting that sort of separating from the machines, the power of this stuff, and having a little bit
2: more freedom to move is going to be a really important part of it. Yeah, I think at that point too, it becomes, I think AR becomes really the thing, right? Once once you're able to put it on in any place and wander around, it feels like you want to incorporate that place where you are into the experience. And I think, I think that's kind of where the HoloLens it feels um, like the right approach. And maybe this is kind of what, what all of these devices devices will converge toward is the ability to either, either transport me to a completely new place or layer things onto the place I'm in already. Um, but it was, I found it very exciting. The end of the, the Oculus connect keynote where they had that scientist on basically talking about what he sees in five years being this technology and how rapidly it's all going to happen? I mean, I got I got chills kind of listening to what what he expects in five years. That's a very short amount of time.
1: Oh, in in, in real life terms, yeah, historical terms, absolutely. In technology terms, I don't know. Like I, I've I got the iPhone seven just because it was I was in that it's time to upgrade space in my contract and stuff, and that thing is so fast and yeah. it's so fast for what what little amount of space it takes up it just doesn't seem like a huge stretch that in five years we're gonna have enough processing power on the go to do a lot of really cool stuff uh, the the last thing i think about oculus connect that was interesting was that they had the big question just in plain plain text on the wall will you do room scale yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is so important because they've been so resistant to that now i know that like the oculus on its own came with the one standee, right? right. The, the infrared thing. Correct. Do, do the touch controllers bring another one into the picture? Like, they do. Two?
2: Yeah. Okay, it, so they come two. with a, a second, a second standee, but you need a third one. Evidently to do room scale.
1: So now the Oculus buy-in is, I can't remember how much the Oculus itself is. Is it 600 bucks?
2: Yeah. So you're at, yeah, you're at 800, uh, with the touch controllers and another 79 for a third, uh, stand uh, yeah so
1: you're getting you're basically you're almost at parity with the vive if not at parity um and so that's that's an interesting wrinkle um Mm -hmm. i I think that it's i understand why they would do it that way i think that making once they brought the touch controllers in i was really hoping they could do a room scale right out of the box like rather than make it feel kind of optional uh, because it's going to disincentivize developers from porting stuff to the oculus as quick Right, the the more parity we have between the Vive and the Oculus, the better it's going to be for VR in general. Because yeah, um, I, we'll probably talk about it a little more in the game section. But my my experience with VR is is cooled a little bit because we're in a lull. Right, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of big releases, so just kind of waiting and seeing.
2: I I do think that they're smart in that they made a big deal about games coming from really prominent publishers, uh, games that look like full experiences, AAA experiences. They announced three new ones, uh, Epic Games' Robo Recall, which looks just ridiculously fun. It it reminds me, we talked a lot last week about uh, Bulletstorm because they announced a remaster for Bulletstorm. And this looks like the same kind of fun of Bulletstorm. Is this just like chaotic... Improvisational playground of of shooting, um, and that's uh, coming from Epic Games. So it looks really neat. They, uh, the uh, developer of the uh, Metro series, 4A Games, uh, showed a title called Artica One, and uh, again another shooter, but it looks like a you know a very conventional video game that I think gamers can already you know recognize as being high quality. And then Ready at Dawn showed Lone Echo which is another first-person experience that used a really interesting method of movement where you're grabbing things in zero gravity and moving yourself along. All three of those, I think, were pretty impressive uh, games to be showing there in the sense that they're not small experiences. They're not minigame collections. They're not proof of concepts. These look like big AAA experiences.
1: Yeah, they look really cool. So I'm, I'm really interested to see that, especially the one uh, navigating through space yeah that's a really interesting idea and it's also uh interesting in the sense of can you make me feel like i'm doing this without also making me want to vomit uh, yeah. i feel that way about most vr experiences but that one especially i'm really curious about how they do that
2: cool all right uh, moving on christian what is your story of the week
0: i think in this kind of we're in the games coming out slow news week um it, There was the leak before, I forget if it was like the French website or something that leaked it, but now it's confirmed that Infinite Warfare, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare and Modern Warfare will require 130 gigs of install space. That's for both games, both day one patches, and the remaining Modern Warfare remastered maps that come out before the end of the year. And but if, but the good news is I don't need to have my disc in the drive, right? When I install 130
2: gigs of well, stuff on my...
0: Not oh. if you buy them digitally, you don't. <laughs>
2: well, not, 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 well, then I've already you know, downloaded... Right. No, this is install if you have the disc.
0: Right. No, yeah. That's how big the games are. So, yeah. Re- yeah. It is insane in the sense that, holy moly, these games are huge. I guess the textures or whatever they're doing is it, huge. But also... You know we are all digital hoarders, right? Like we a 500 gigabyte hard drive, get out of here! Like we we joke about how Nvidia right now this generation has made you just throw your other graphics card in the garbage because they're like, oh, you have a 1080? Well, sorry. <laughs> Here's an, yeah. and now it's like, oh, you have a you have a one terabyte solid state drive? Blah. Who cares? <laughs> Here's a 20 terabyte. Good luck, yeah. you're gonna fill it. It this is and granted, yes, you can delete the game without deleting your saves and you know, there are plenty of workarounds and the Xbox one kudos to them for, for including this. And I can't believe PlayStation still doesn't the inclusion of the ability to plug in a external USB or sorry, an external hard drive and have games saved and read off that. But like, wow. Wow. Is there, I remember when Xbox Live launched, you know, there was that limit of whatever it was, 200 megabytes or whatever games could be. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Sean, is there a limit? Or are we going to (laughs) get games that are 500 gigs and it's just like, oh, you want to play? Triple A hotness. Delete everything.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I've I've been living in a version of this with like playing on the Wii and the Wii U, where you're where you're quote unquote cleaning out the fridge uh, once in a while and deleting things and making room for new things. I I we've even gone through this with our cell phones, right? If you got a sixteen yeah. gig phone, that's nothing. Like that's nothing. You've got yeah. a thousand pictures on there, and you're already uh, well on your way. Let alone music. Uh, so like this, I mean, this is over a a, a fifth you know, almost uh, a third of the uh, hard drive on a 500 gig console. I I think consoles, I think the hard drives are just going to have to keep scaling up. Uh, I think that's the only way, the only way around it. I, I don't see games getting smaller uh, at all. Gears of War 4 on the PC is like 80 or 90 gigs. Yeah, it's uh, huge. They're, they're just, they're massive. And it's, and what's crazy to me is that like Quantum Break, for example, is also a massive game. But part of that is because there's these huge long, uh, like if you actually included the full motion video in Quantum Break, yeah. that is a huge, huge game. Uh, yeah. And Gears of War, it's all in-game cutscenes and stuff, but I guess it's just the textures and everything else are so big. I don't see this. It's just going to get worse. It's not going to get any better. Oh, yeah. Like and if I we're talking about my PS4 and I threw a one terabyte drive in there a long time ago just because I was already hitting that limit.
2: If we're talking about four K games being the next thing, you got to right? have four K textures, and it's only going to get bigger from there. Yeah,
0: and then like- data caps. Like if you have, I know yeah. we're talking about this is the install off the disc, but I think it was John Davison was tweeting that you know, where he is in San Francisco. He kind of has one provider, and he's got a terabyte limit. Yeah, that paying overages, and I don't know. Like we are hitting the breaking point of, um cloud computing or storage or data centers like it's it's like this game of chicken and no one, no one's relenting yet it's insane sorry it's I didn't mean happening
2: no it's happening in our in our chat room too chrysoface says uh well there goes one tenth of my comcast data cap <laughs> uh, yeah yeah and uh, i like gaucho cam says what's compression <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's i mean it, it's whatever the equivalent of feature creep is it's just creep it's just a size creep i guess and like
0: um, i know it, it's it's easy to look at this and have this like chin hit the table moment. Cause 130 gigs is huge. So, okay. So you break that in half, right. And cause it is two games and you got like, how big is my total halo five install at this point? I don't know. you know, Cause like that came at me piecemeal or something. And like, this is both games plus the additional maps that are coming out. So perhaps we've already had games that are this size, like how big is uncharted, um, the remaster plus Uncharted 4 plus a map pack plus whatever, I don't know. But it's just like to go into the store, to like walk into Best Buy and know that the the thing I'm holding in my hand is going to need to download and install 130 gigs on my console. is like a, a water-in-the-face moment of like, whoa, wake up. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, well, you know, in the olden days, you can only have one game in your in your console at a time. <laughs> now it's just like that, only a little bit different.
1: <laughs> Back in the day. i just like, I'm, I'm, I, whenever this kind of stuff comes up, I, I think of my brother because he lives uh, out in the country. Um, he's, he's not a, he's not a rich dude by any stretch, but he's still definitely a gamer. Uh, but his internet is like maybe seven megabits per second downloads, maybe, you know, f- uh, 500 megabit 0.5 megabits per second upload. Uh, and, Like it's it's and he's got an original Xbox One. Like it's almost a non-starter for him. Like between just downloading all this stuff, these day one patches and everything else, at seven megabits per second, a day one patch that's a becomes a day ten patch by the (laughs) time. Exactly, exactly. By the time he's done downloading it, the new patches come out. (laughs) It's it's not good. So this it's just. I, I don't see this getting better. I'm actually, in in some way, I'm curious about how where Nintendo goes with the NX, yeah, um, and what their intention is there, how big their drive is, what kind of uh, medium they're using to deliver those games, and what cartridges, evidently. Well, and that's an interesting approach, right? Yeah. That's that's a really interesting thing to bring to go to cartridges for a main console. Uh, depending on how much space those cartridges can have, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things up in the air right now, but uh, there's definitely feeling that haves and haves nots gap in terms yeah. of what, how much technology you have, how much speed you have in order to play something like infinite warfare, which is a very mainstream game, right? All of a sudden the very mainstream are getting squeezed out a little bit in terms of actually being able to
2: participate easily. I think that's, make, that's a great point. And I don't want to date myself too much, but I did when I was a young kid, I, I collected cans to save up enough money to buy a ten megabyte hard drive for my computer, and I thought at the time, I'm never gonna fill this thing up. It's too huge. <laughs>
0: yeah. Are you still Are you still using that as your boot drive? Yeah, that's my uh, that's my main
2: my main boot drive.
0: I think maybe the silver lining of this is like I I guess I am kind of glad that maybe. It is the. I already said they're playing chicken, but like maybe this will force um, Comcast or whatever, or the government, if you think it's a public utility and that should happen. Like, I think at some point this conversation comes to a head where the companies are saying, we need to deliver this content to our consumers, whether it's Netflix, 4K streaming. And there's so many bottlenecks like, you know, you're in the country. We got to get stuff out there. I don't know if it's that Facebook Internet balloon or (laughs) what what we do or how we get rid of data caps. Because I know this stuff is expensive to, you know, line a neighborhood with fiber. But I almost kind of like that maybe the companies here are pushing it further and further and further. So finally, we need to update our infrastructure so that we can keep evolving this kind of stuff for gaming and also for stuff outside gaming where it's kind of a... a well, daily necessity.
1: Well, what I can I can definitely say is like our local uh, cable modem providing company uh, is Shaw here in Canada, and they're kind of like Shaw Rogers, like they're they're fairly interna- fairly national as far as Canada goes. Uh, they recently updated upgraded my service in my area. I don't believe it was even fiber based, but I'm pulling like 170 megabits per second download nice. and about 20 up uh, for less than hundred dollars Canadian. A month. Um, so it's it is getting better in places where the population is dense enough. But it's it's just like anything else. If you don't live in a dense uh, area where there's a lot of people to justify the cost, that infrastructure just
2: is going to be very slow getting to you. At this point, he's just trying to get me to move to Canada, Christian.
0: Yeah, I was going to just- say. I thought. We're only supposed to move there, Sean, when things go absolutely horribly here. Quit making it sound like a place we want to live in anyway. It's a
1: magical uh, fantasy world. Right? I know great. where you guys live. And uh, it's, let, let's just say this. Uh, we, we're just above freezing here right now. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. 86 <laughs> degrees outside at 10 a.m.
1: So Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so if you're going to move to Canada, just go straight north from where you are and stop <laughs> in that B.C. area. You'll be a lot happier.
0: But you can just put on your Vive and, you know, download That's anything true. you want and be yeah, anywhere yeah. you want being a tropical island it's just that easy yeah (laughs) Yeah, or mark zuckerberg's house that apparently runs has a live streaming vr camera at all times a day so you know it's easy
2: uh speaking of vr google announced the daydream view vr which is even lower price point than the samsung gear vr it's going to work on uh any of the daydream ready smartphones uh including the pixel and pixel xl that google announced 79 bucks it's a cloth it's like got microfiber cloth on the outside. What did you th- what did you think of this, Sean? Did you uh, do you think this is cool? I don't care. Um, <laughs> I don't.
1: Uh, like every time I look at mobile mobile VR, sorry, I say mobile and I get in trouble. I guess it's a Canadian fine. thing. Every time I look at mobile VR and uh, it's just without the interactive aspect of it, it it just doesn't uh, it, daydreams a good name for it. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm not interested in wearing it out in public which which is the only time I'd really want to probably engage with something like this i could see maybe using it on an airplane mm-hmm. but i'm just i don't mind doing it in the privacy of my own home i am not i'm just i think i've just hit that age gap where it's just not normal enough for me to feel like i could use that in public and feel okay with it and if i'm at home i'm gonna use my vive uh or i'm gonna do something else i'm not gonna sit with a screen scrap to my face but it's got uh,
2: cloth on it so it's like it's like
1: clothes yeah, I'm wearing clothes. I have cloth now you have all clothes for me. your there's face. <laughs> exciting about that. It, it's amazing to me. We're, we're announcing a new tech and there's cloth on it. Everybody's like, oh my God, cloth? Like cotton? <laughs> Are you crazy? This is wild. Take it, my money. No, it's I'm like not. like a
2: sweater yeah. for your eyes. I'm not I'm not into it. <laughs> um, I would say my actual uh, story of the week is Oculus Connect. But I want to bring up briefly uh, the fact that evidently Beyond Good and Evil 2 is actually happening weirdly the announcement is that it's in pre-production which means they haven't been working on it which is weird because they said eight years ago that they were teasing it and saying it you know it was coming but michelle ancel is actually working on it this was an announcement that happened on facebook on the original uh, beyond good and evil games facebook page i bring it up for two reasons first Are we still excited about Beyond Good and Evil? This is a game that got a lot of uh, justifiable praise when it was released, but it's super antiquated by today's standards. Uh, What could a sequel possibly do? And the second reason I bring it up is weird that they waste this on a Facebook post, right? We have seen the last two or three E3s, where these kinds of always wished for games get big stage presences at E3 and big moments and everybody comes out buzzing about Shenmue and Last Guardian and all these, these games that we didn't think were ever going to happen and now they are. Ubisoft could clearly have made a big deal about this and yet it happens in an offhand Facebook post? Weird to me.
1: Uh, it's what ubisoft does though ubisoft has been really up on this trend that i actually really like in that they announce a game and release it within the year um so i think that in this case my guess is that there's so many people who keep asking them a lot if beyond good and evil 2 is coming out so i can see why they just want to say yes we're we're now working on it in some official capacity um but uh, i i think they learned their lesson last time because they put out like this cg thing with that pig guy i don't remember much. <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> I'm an image yeah on the side of a highway like they put out this little cgi oh, right. video thing that was years ago so yeah i i think announcement on facebook's fine but with any with any luck we're not going to see a big announcement or a big reveal trailer until it's you know a, a couple quarters away from
2: coming out that's i i actually prefer it that way Uh, G Wizard in the chat disagrees with me. He said he loves Beyond Good and Evil and the game still holds up. So uh, I find that hard to believe. I haven't played it in a long time. I know they re-released it on Xbox a while back, but uh, I I played it at that point. I remember thinking, woof, this game shows its age. But uh, great concept, you know, photography, all that fun stuff. And I have high hopes for the sequel. And I'm glad Michel Ancel is working on it because he's a visionary guy. Christian, what do you think about this?
0: We're in a weird place where you can announce games. To some extent, I agree with Sean with how Ubisoft's been doing things recently. This kind of falls into that. I also think that, um I think they can do this now and then when they do it on stage at E three next year, if they do it or you know, whenever it is, two years and they do it with like a sizable showing, it will still get that holy crap, you know, bomb moment. I don't think you need to come out with the unveil and the gameplay at the same time i think if they do this now we get a little trickle between now and whenever they're ready to show it and then you're at ubisoft's press conference and the lights go dark and like you hear like the camera click and then it comes up and you're in beyond good and evil 2 i think people will go pretty crazy and then like someone's on stage playing it you can still have that bombastic moment if you want
1: oh yeah and and let's not kid ourselves here this is going to go through the ubisoft factory which means it's going to feel It'll be beyond good and evil, but it's going to feel a lot like Watch Dogs, a lot like Super <laughs> yeah. Cry, a lot like yeah. Assassin's Creed. I do believe there was some leaked, oh, I want to say there was some leaked, like pre, 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 pre alpha test footage years ago, and it sure looked like Assassin's Creed at the time. Oh, man. Like, it was kind of this open worldy sort of feeling chase sequence from what I recall. It was, I don't believe it was part of the actual game, what it's going to be, but uh, at the time when they were doing testing, I think that's what it looked like. So. And you can uh, hack
2: cameras, and you can take t- pictures with the hacked cameras, and then your pig. You
1: know, has- I don't
2: know.
1: <sighs> oh I don't know. We'll see. It's <laughs> it's kind of like when you're watching TV, uh, which I don't. I don't even have cable at this point. But when I when I visiting someone who's older and they still have cable, and I'm flipping through channels, it's like there's there's a hundred different crime procedural shows, and so it's just like, what's your take on? The crime pre- procedural show that's a little bit different than the other one. It's now it's like Ubisoft has a certain feeling to a lot of their games, and it's yeah. just all these different properties. What's their take on that particular formula?
2: I totally agree. Uh, great zing from Datipi in the chat. He says, "Feel like Watchdogs? You mean unfinished? Ouch! Dang! All right, let's talk about games we have played. But first, want to thank our sponsor Casper. If you have been staying up. At night, wondering what happened to Beyond Good and Evil 2. May I suggest a way to get better sleep? First of all, don't think about Beyond Good and Evil 2. But secondly, upgrade your mattress. Casper is a sleep brand that created the one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. So basically, what happens here is most of the time, when you want to buy a mattress, you go to the store, a big warehouse store. You walk in, you get pestered by salespeople, maybe you lay on a couple of mattresses, you go, oh, that's not, that feels all right, and you spend thousands of dollars on a mattress, you bring it home, and then you're stuck with that mattress forever. Casper broke the mold and is changing the way you deal with buying a mattress. First of all, most of us, the mattress we're sleeping on, we've been we've held on to way too long. This happened to me. I was on a mattress that I used in college and it was well past its day, and I would ha- wake up You're sore. You're still
0: sleeping on a mattress from college? There hasn't been a mattress for college in these towns for 200 years.
2: Yeah, it's, listen to the old lady that lives in the shoe. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> uh, the the, uh, the thing is, we, we hold on to these mattresses because we don't understand. I woke up sore and, and out of sorts, and I didn't understand why. Then I got a new mattress, and I felt so much better. And Casper is making it easy to get a new mattress. No longer do you have to go into the store. You just buy it online. And no longer do you have to make your decision in a few minutes with a pesky salesperson. You can buy a mattress for a fraction of the price that you would at one of these big warehouse stores. We're talking, you know, like in the hundreds of dollars rather than the thousands of dollars. They send it directly to your house. It comes in a really cool package. It unfurls. It it fills up on its own. It's really simple. It's got a neat little uh, opener, fastener thing that it comes with. And then... You can sleep on it for 100 nights before you have to make your decision whether you want to keep it or not. It is a completely risk-free 100-night trial where you get to make sure you like it. If night 37, you're like, you know what? I don't really like this. All you got to do is let them know. They come and they pick it up and they take it away from you and you get your money back. That's pretty amazing. They're so confident with their product. And chances are you're going to love it. You're going to realize that you've been sleeping on the same mattress for far too long. We've had people on the show talk about how much they've loved Casper. And the best part is we're going to hook you up. We're going to get you $50 off your first order at Casper. All you got to do is go to Casper.com slash DLC. Use the promo code DLC when you check out. And you'll get $50 off your purchase. These are mattresses that are made in America. Time Magazine named it one of their best inventions of 2015. These are springy latex supportive memory foams. It, it is obsessively engineered. I think you're going to dig it. Go to casper.com, C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash DLC. Use that promo code DLC when you check out. Get yourself 50 bucks off. Upgrade your sleep. And then you can, uh, you know, sleep soundly and worry about other things. It's much better. All right. Let us now go to the playlist. Ooh,
1: what you playing this?
2: We tell us. Ooh, what you playing this? tell us on the playlist. We're in it now, guys. It is the fall. It means the big releases are hitting hot and heavy. Man, what a massive week. I've been playing a lot of stuff. I see that you guys have as well. Where shall we start, Sean? What would you like to start with?
1: I oh, gotta start with Gears of War 4. Yeah. Gears of 4. Gears of for War. For War. For War never changes. Uh, <laughs> and, and actually, that's, that's kind of true with Gears of War 4. War does kind of never change. Uh, it's got some new enemies, and it, it moves a little
2: faster, but boy, is it ever a lot like the first three. Well, here's my experience. I finished the campaign. I see that you did too. Um, I felt like the first two acts of that game, I was like, oh my god, this is my favorite Gears of War. They, I cannot believe how much fun and how many new things there are. And it feels like a sci-fi world. They've really expanded it. And it has all these new interesting nooks and crannies. And oh my gosh. And then Acts 3 and 4 come along. And it's like, oh, this could be from any Gears of War game.
1: Literally oh, yeah. any of them. Oh, yeah. And 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 Gears of War 4 is, um, to be upfront, I really enjoyed playing it. I played through the whole campaign co-op we had a great time we did we were not there to take the, it very very
0: seriously we were just you, what did you play on sorry just i, to... I played on the pc um Jeff? so i played um, on xbox one cool Ugh, lame uh <laughs> well, i want to hear i want to hear comparisons later i
1: just wanted to let people know okay. so i'm play playing on it. the pc i played it with the controller uh, although it does support mouse and keyboard as well um i actually uh i i, I was really hmm I think I was hoping it was going to be a little bit more different than it was uh, to some degree. I really enjoyed it for what it was. Um, I feel like in, in, in broad strokes, it's a it's a faster game than the last three gears were. It's got a little bit more movement to it. They certainly flush you out of cover much more readily. I never stayed behind cover for more than probably on average like 10 seconds or less because there's always enemies that are jumping over the cover uh, or they're always throwing grenades or Flushing you out in all these different ways, so they really keep you moving in this one, which I think is really
2: good. Well, there's also that that new thing where one of the biggest features of cover in the middle part of the game is is an enemy, <laughs> and it can explode and release enemies out of it. <laughs> so uh, you you can't just hang out in the the organic cover. Uh, that is is very prevalent through the middle of the game because it'll explode and then bad guys shoot out. I thought yeah. that was pretty clever, actually.
1: Uh, I thought that was ama- I thought that was great. I love that. I love the emergence holes aspect of if you can blow that hole. If you have a grenade and you can get it into the hole in time, you'll prevent enemies from spawning in. Right, right. it'll run out eventually, but I like that you could. Cut well, that's that a off classic
2: Gears of War red. thing, right? The Which the, the is emergence. great.
1: Like, in, like so, it it had a really nice mix. I think Gears of War four overall feels very. Aware of other video games, um, hmm. you know Rod Ferguson is the director on this one, um, and he's he's the kind of guy who can he he delivers the milk like he he can he can really execute
2: um, on
1: on ideas uh, very well. But I don't necessarily think that there's a lot of newness here. There's certainly new enemies, and like I said, it it moves a lot faster, um, and it never overstayed its welcome on any given type of enemy or any given type of gameplay like I really felt like they did a good job of in terms of that flow in this case for me a six and a half hour campaign it I feel like it did a good job of changing things up and keeping it fresh jumping between these horde mode style defend this area missions and walking through shooting locust style kind of missions we're used to uh, but also these new enemies like the robots and stuff really mixing it up. I felt
2: like they, they did a pretty good job with their pacing. You know, I, I agree with that. I felt like the middle section just, just lagged a little bit too much for me. Um, And I don't, I don't want to be spoilery about it, but the first two acts feel like a sci-fi game. And the second two acts feel like a horror game. And I just, I guess I just prefer the sci-fi game over the horror game. And the fifth act is super fun. The fifth act Again, no spoilers, but it kind of does that Half-Life 2 thing where you've been frustrated by a bunch of these big bad enemies for a long time, and now we just gave you something that makes you super OP, and you get to have fun getting revenge on all those enemies that have given you a hard time. And it's a blast. It's a, such a such a satisfying ending to the game uh, and, and really a cool thing that you've never done in the Gears of War franchise before. But I just felt like... The, all of the fun momentum that you get in the beginning and there's all these really wild, cool ideas from a sci-fi perspective. Like, there's this one character that basically is a robot body that has, like, a FaceTime, like, Skype call being projected on the top of it, which is such a cool idea, such a very neat concept. And there's this, like, running joke where it keeps getting destroyed.
1: And oh, it's so good, yeah.
2: It's so good! And And yet nothing really ever comes of that. There's no... The game ends very abruptly. Nothing is really ever uh, c- concluded in a satisfying way. It feels like a setup for the next game. But the whole like the whole first two acts feel like you're leading to something. And then it feels like this massive detour in the middle where you have to go save a character. But that's the whole game. Like The whole game is let's go save this character. But that felt like the thing we were doing instead of the big mission that we were on. And it felt like, okay, as soon as we're done saving this person, we'll get back to what we were doing before. But they never get back to what they were doing before. It just Game just ends. And it, it, I found that very frustrating.
1: Yeah, it was basically save other character as a sort of uh, MacGuffin sort of thing. So, and if yeah. it wasn't one character, it was a different character. And, they, and they're very careful to keep repeating to you why you're moving. It, it's, it, it goes back to that old school video game thing, which Gears has always done, of we need to put you through these levels we've made. We need to have a story reason to do so. Uh, So you need to go save this person. Here's your next set piece. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, and it's, so it's, I think that they're, they do a better job of injecting humor. For uh, sure. The the characters a little bit more, a little bit more nuance, a little bit different. Uh, especially because it's not like a spoiler to say that Marcus Phoenix is in this. He's been in all the marketing and stuff like that too, right? So, um, so he is in this game in some capacity. So when you him juxtaposed with these new characters they've introduced is pretty funny. It's
2: basically uh, it, if, if Marcus Phoenix got to hang out with Nathan Drake for a while, pretty uh,
1: much. <laughs> and he
2: sounds the lead character
1: JD sounds so much like Nathan Drake. I had to look it up to see if, to make sure he wasn't uh, Nolan North. Uh, which he wasn't. So I, mean, I was shocked because I variety. thought he was. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think people are learning. They need to learn that voice if they want to a successful voice acting career, <laughs> I <so>. uh, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, but,
2: but- I, what I agree with you is that I think the game reminds me why I love this franchise. And it's been a while since I played a Gears game through. And I, it's like, oh, yeah, this is a very fun shooter. Yes, it has all the same problems that Gears of War has always had, which is all the enemies are massive bullet sponges. Um, you're kind of doing the same things over and over. But the the weapons are super fun. I mean, I think the Torque Bow is like top five weapon in a video game for me ever. Yes. Uh, and I, I love the Torque Bow. But there's also some really fun new weapons that they introduce here that have really interesting mechanics. And it's just a blast to do the active reload. Like that, I don't know why more games haven't just stolen that because it really does make... It's more fun to be in a firefight and feel like, oh, yeah, I just nailed that active reload. I get a bonus now to my next few shots if I do them quickly. Just the pure mechanics of Gears, the chunkiness of that world, all of it reminded me, oh, yeah, I really dig this franchise. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, they didn't screw that up. And the active reload, just that risk-reward mechanic being built into something so automatic and reflexive is It, it continues to be brilliant. And and all the things that you liked about Gears is still here I don't feel like there's, there's not a single, I can't think of a single step back. I can't right. think of a single misstep in terms of what came before. Uh, I think I would have liked to have seen a few more steps forward. And like you say, the story feels like a, like a, it feels like um, the first and second acts of a three act play. Right. Like it, it does not, it, it feels small. Uh, and it feels like the beginning of a whole new thing. Um, and so it kind of leaves you feeling a little bit unsatisfied at the, at the end in terms of the story and how things come together and how things end. But um, as an experience of just sitting down with a buddy and playing co-op all the way through, it's a blast. Like, it's so silly and fun and bombastic and pretty. Yeah, it's very so pretty. pretty. Uh, we can talk about the, uh, I can tell you, talk a little bit about the PC port aspect of it. I wouldn't even call it a port. This feels like a PC game. The the options in the menu the menu options for graphics unlike say Mafia Three the menu options are very robust the game runs really really well I could almost run it at 4K 60 frames a second I could almost get it there without dropping any details like it runs it's a very it runs really really well and that's a huge departure for Microsoft because so many of their Xbox One PC releases have been Bad, uh, and this one has been much, much better for that. So uh, they did a really good job with the PC aspect of it, and it runs wonderfully. I, I've been playing at 1440p on my 42 inch screen with all the bells and whistles, and it's been just gorgeous to wander around. And some of the environments, some of the some of the level design, it feels like Bioshock Infinite. Like some of them, you could tell Ferguson was was it irrational for a little while helping them finish up Bioshock because some of these levels do feel have this sort of like i'm like oh this is the bioshock level like this is the bioshock mm-hmm. town part yeah. and you know it's, it had a lot of elements that i felt like were just shamelessly pulled from other games to it good effect for the most part
2: well i i definitely agree that that the game is gorgeous uh i mean i was in awe even on xbox one i thought it ran very smoothly it looked great on my big tv um I, I was constantly just stopping and looking around with the camera because the lighting is so gorgeous, and they do these these crazy new um, wind effects. Now you get into these crazy wind storms, and you know things are blowing around, and all the vegetation is moving. And when you shoot an enemy, he gets swept up by the wind as well. It's all just so incredible looking. Uh, but again, those. Third and fourth acts, you're just going through tunnels. You're just going through, like you said, sort of Bioshocky, you know, pipes and tunnels and things you've done in every video game. And it's it's only bugged me more this time because the game starts off with you in such interesting, vibrant, colorful, outdoor environments. And then you have to do, I guess, the Duragur... Gears of War thing where you're kind of going down into the earth underneath the ground into a mine into a you know an old abandoned place where humans used to build crazy machines and it's like all the stuff you do in video games. All the time, you're you know you're trying to turn the power on to you power the elevator.
1: Like there's so many things in this game that need electricity, but yeah, don't. and so you need to go somewhere and pull a thing. Like, yeah, there's just so many times where they need power and they don't have it.
2: <laughs> it's annoying, and it, especially because that beginning section where you're like you're in you're getting a fleshed out version of what the world of Gears of War is like. We've seen this war torn subterranean quest to defeat the Locusts in three games, right? And and it was it was cool, but the way this game starts, where you're going to these sort of rural towns and seeing you know this this wooden city that's built in this very futuristic you know narrative space, I was like, oh, that's a really cool juxtaposition, and they're doing really smart things with that. And then it just completely abandoned for two acts, and it just felt like a waste. I don't know. Maybe I'm making a bigger deal about that than I should because the fun. game is really fun. But
1: it's really fun. I think. My last word on it would be just that Gears of War 4 is a game that doesn't need to exist. Um, <laughs> the, the, the trilogy covered everything it needed to. Uh, they go out of their way to the opening tutorial areas in Gears of War 4, are basically going back in time and playing these events. And if, if you've never played Gears of War 1, 2, and 3, or it's been a long time, they're almost meaningless anyway. Like they don't make yeah. any sense. In fact, a lot of in Gears of War 4, they hand wave, truncate, and give you the short versions of a lot of plot points, and you don't really have a good strong sense of what's going on and why you're doing things all the time. Uh, it, and so it 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 does suffer from, how do we justify this product? How do we justify this this new entry into this world? How do we make it feel different? And I think they make a strong play by having your main characters like rolling into this big futuristic town on a horse-drawn carriage, basically. And, and I'm like, oh, this is like a new... Sort of look for this world, yeah. and then they, like you say, like they kind of let that fall to the wayside eventually. So there's there's elements there, and I think that uh, I I feel like they've they they hone a little too close to what came before, and they didn't do enough to to really make this stand out as its own thing. So it's more gears. You're gonna feel right at home in it, but it's not going to feel like uh, there's some elements in here where I felt like I was entering into a dead space level. Right. And yeah, I'm like, oh, this definitely. would really this would be really interesting to play a Like gears is kind of like dead space but faster anyway it'd be really interesting to get into some survival horror kind of mechanics for a little while where you don't have a lot of ammo where you're trying to survive against a few enemies in a place that's abandoned and probably needs power because they all do (laughs) and like there's some really cool things they could do that they didn't really get into uh so I'd, i'd love to see them explore that some more but i don't know if they can really get too
2: far from what makes the series so popular I'm jealous that you played it all through co-op because the game feels designed for co-op. Did I mean it's, it is comp- not. I did not. No, I played it solo. Oh my
1: god, I would not want to play the single player. I I just the AI is fine, but it's it's well, very
2: good co-op. One of the things they do very very smartly is that and I think this should be the standard for any game like this. Any game that has a mechanic where if I go down, I need to be revived by my teammates, the AI knows that if I go down, it should abandon anything it's doing and yes. run to me to revive me immediately. That yeah. it becomes the only thing it should do. It should not shoot another bullet until I am revived, and it does that. And I think that's really <laughs> to their credit because I have died in too many games waiting for my stupid AI teammate to realize I should be revived. I, I think
1: if you're playing single player, they should give you an option when you're down to just take control of one of the other characters. I think it's a great just idea. Let you jump over there, you know, something yeah. like that, because. Um yeah, the AI was basically our medic in co op. Like one right. of us would go down, we're like, Ah, it's okay, he'll come get us in a second. You know, <laughs> yeah. keep doing what you're doing and, and it worked out pretty well, uh, for the most part. And I maybe I'm just a misremembering. I feel like I went down faster in Gears of War 4 than I did in the last games I feel like you drop faster but you also revive faster yeah Um, so it feels like I'm a little bit weaker uh,
2: but I'm also quicker to get back into it if I do get damned even like the boss battles they just seem made for co-op like one person should be doing one thing while somebody else is doing another thing it's uh, what did you think of the like mini horde mode mini tower defense levels that were in the campaign
1: I think they needed something to bridge to that multiplayer horde mode. That's, that's obviously become such a big part of the gear series. So I Mm -hmm. I thought it was a good way to that. Those, those aspects felt like tutorials for horde mode. They didn't feel like they were, they felt a little bit contrived, um, and a little bit shoehorned in, uh, to the story. But like I said, as a
2: change of pace sort of mechanic, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. Awesome. They also have tons of, um, you know extra content there's like a whole card system that basically works a lot like the um you know the um um counter-strike uh skin swaps that we've derided on the show over and over basically you can unlock these packs of cards that give you skins for your characters and skins for your looks for your thing it's a collectible aspect i think it's kind of interesting uh lots lots in this package. Again, gorgeous. I, I recommend it. I think it's cool. As you said, it kind of doesn't need to exist, but it's it's real fun, especially if you can play with a friend,
0: evidently. So I have a couple of questions. Uh one, what difficulty did you guys play the campaign on? Normal. Normal. Uh two. I'm trying to think which one's the longer requires a longer answer. Well let's go in this order. Two. Um I believe I'm correct in saying you guys both got uh review copies of the game. Yeah. But Regular folk can play it if they buy the $100 or whatever it is, and this is not the first game to do this, certainly. Forza did it, where if you bought the, whatever they called it, Ultimate Edition, you got it early as well. I think uh, Battlefield 1 is doing something similar. So it has happened enough now that I can call it a pattern or trend. What do you guys think?
2: Uh, Here's a game
0: that I am excited about. Um, I was playing Gears One Remastered or Ultimate Edition again last week to like get myself hyped for it, and I got numerous tweets and people on Twitch being like, "If you're so hyped for it, why don't why aren't you playing it already?" And I'm like, "I'm I'm hyped for it, but I'm not a hundred and thirty dollars hyped for it. It's 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 weird. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Sean.
1: No, it's fine. Um, I so the Ultimate Edition, I believe, is a hundred dollars US. Yeah, ninety nine. Am, yeah. am I right about that? That's so, correct. Um, yeah. So it's it's hundred bucks US. Uh, it includes the season pass, which I'm actually very much against season passes in general because games don't actually tell you what's in them a lot of the time. And I don't think it's really good to be buying stuff before you even know what you're buying. Uh, So that that's one aspect of it. Um, Generally speaking, like I don't, there's there's only so many ways to make something feel more valuable and access is just one of them early access to things is just one of those things it's it comes hand in hand with uh alphas and betas becoming part of this whole pre-order scheme uh to get people in because you're they're playing against your impatience um you know and, and just like these card systems are there to give you these little dopamine hits so you'll keep playing once you do have the game it'll keep you in there so ah, uh, you know it's it's human nature stuff i i can't I can't blame them for doing it because obviously we're buying it, um, but uh, I, I don't. I don't generally think it's a great idea to spend a hundred bucks uh, on a game just if if your only
2: motivation is that you want to play it three days early. I agree. I, I they wouldn't do it if nobody bought it though. So people clearly do think that that value translates for them, and uh, I guess more power to them. But um, you know, I, I certainly would never have spent. The money to play it early i really wouldn't
0: have i, I can wait i can patient i can be patient and then last question this game is reviewing well it sounds like both of you you know would give it a good score if you were forced to put a score on it as well even though you had some reservations about the game it seems like generally it's both coming from both of you it's a recommend um but i found that the reviews i've read and listening to both of you talk it seems like more people reviewers critique uh Critique, the, a bigger critique of this game is kind of what you guys spent time on too It doesn't need to exist, it's more of the same um, it, it feels like a Gears game and, and that feels like it's a knock that people are making against the game But as someone who is a huge Uncharted fan um, That game also reviewed very well Uncharted 4 And I feel like very few people brought that up as a knock against that game Or Forza Horizon 3 I love that game it, it is definitely, and it's reviewing very well as, all, as well, it is definitely more Forza Horizon. Like, at no point is it, and now you're controlling a space shuttle and you just landed on Mars, right? Like, it's it's what you get. And I'm curious why you guys think Gears 4 is kind of getting knocked for this. Or maybe, maybe the other games did too, and I just didn't notice because I was like, I don't care, I love these games. It's more of those? Perfect. <laughs> um, but to me, it seems like Gears 4 is taking a hit for this, whereas other Big franchises recently have not
1: well i I think that um you know t v shows that are really popular and have seasons four five six seven. And, and remain popular until they finish, like, say, Breaking Bad or something like that. I don't think by season three of Breaking Bad, you're like, ugh, more Breaking Bad. It's like you're into the story. So you want to see where it goes. Um, Uncharted is a very story heavy game. Like, obviously, there's good gameplay there and they make little improvements. But Uncharted is you're there for the characters, the story, uh, for the to see what happens next, to watch this next episode arguably uncharted 4 didn't need to exist either but at least there was this new developments new characters new story things gears doesn't prioritize that gears gears uses the story as a way to lubricate the levels uh, to lubricate to keep pushing you forward so i think that's to me that's where that gap is is that i'm not really interested in where the story is going in gears so i kind of question as to whether or not i need another one of these things because i have played this gameplay a lot already.
2: Yeah, I think I think he makes a a good point, and and I agree with that. I, it's it's not even just lubricating the levels; it's lubricating just the firefights. Like this game is all about firefights, and it gives them to you all the time. You're constantly in another firefight. It does not let up. In fact, the game sort of starts making jokes about it. Like the guys are like, "Hey, you think we'll be able to get through here without fighting anything?" No, you know they're they're constantly referencing that. Um, and you know at a certain point, it's like somebody in the gears universe said, "Hey." Guys, guess what? I, I can put a chainsaw on this gun. Oh, that's amazing. Really, That's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. The downside is you need to shoot something 400 times in order for it to die. But there's a chainsaw on your gun. It's a really very not powerful gun, but there's a chainsaw on it. I mean, you literally, the, everything's a sponge in this game, especially if you're using the Lancer. Whew! 300 bullets into something before it dies.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I almost want to say the bullet sponge's effect is, is more pronounced. Uh, in this one with all the different boss enemies and, and Uh, the bullet sponge effect is, is manageable if enemies react to being shot. Right. Right. And a (laughs) lot of these enemies do not look like they're being hurt in any way. And you have no idea if you're getting, if you're getting good hits or not. And that, that makes the whole bullet sponge
2: thing feel kind of gross for sure. Yeah. Um, let's move on, uh, Lots of other games uh, coming out came out big big AAA games. Let's talk about Mafia Three because all three of us have played Mafia Three. Christian, let's start with you. Um, what's your what's your how much have you played? What are you playing it on? And what's your take?
0: I'm playing on PS4. I'm uh, maybe uh, three to four hours in, so not tons, not not tons and tons of it. I, I know it's a large open world game. Um, oh, by
2: the way, real quick, uh, the chat room is really excited about Forza Horizon Mars. Well, so yeah, we can, I mean,
0: obviously, I, I can make that
2: happen. If It would be great.
0: I pitched it so that when they release it next year, they have to pay me money because it's clearly the best idea in gaming. Um, <laughs> explore the open roads on Mars. Yeah. Uh, incredible. <laughs> um, Mafia three. I streamed the first hour of it or like my first hour 20, which you can find on my Twitch and on my YouTube to see like live reaction, how I was feeling about it. I've now spent more time thinking about it. Um, things I like about the game. I like the protagonist. Um, I like that it is in a. It's in a fictional version of New Orleans, but it's in a very real America in a very real part of our history. I think a lot of times, you know, you have games like Gears of War that, or even Deus Ex: Mankind Divided, that create this. Um, metaphor for stuff that's happening in our real world and our country and every country uh, kind of in the world has had some really tumultuous periods. And I like that mafia three isn't shying away from it or creating fictional. It, it takes place in Lesterica in the city of blue lore Like it, you know, it kind of splits the difference between the two. Um, and, and I like that you are playing this, Morality gray zone character in a city that is a morality gray zone city in a time in our country where it was a morality gray zone country and they lean into all of that. I think it's I think it's cool and I admire for admire them for what they're trying to do. That said, I think they miss that mark. Um, from what I've read about the game and seen about the game and what I've played the game uh, more than they hit it. Unfortunately, I know for me the first time. The N word was dropped. It was kind of just like, uh, I mean, I know it existed in the world then, but yeah, woo, you're just, I feel like you were just saying it to say it. It's kind of like at a comedy show. Uh, sometimes you'll see a host come up and just be very vulgar to set the stage for other comics. The, people will leave the show being like, man, that host was vulgar. The other guys were great, but the other guys were also vulgar. It just didn't punch you in the face as hard. Um, and so I, I feel like it's a little loose with it. In times when you're just like roaming the streets and people are like inward, inward, inward. It's like one of the twenty sayings that people say. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Um and but all that stuff aside, the actual gameplay itself. Um I I wish this story existed in a non-open world game. I've talked on this show before about how I'm not the largest open world gameplay fan. Um I, I wish this narrative was a little more um, condensed or a little more straightforward I think this it suffers from the open world tendency of because the world is so big they're not able to really highlight what you have to do so everything is constantly prompted like you go to your apartment and it's like telling you picking up a third or a fifth of the top of the screen pick up your gear talk to Mike go to the bar leave Sammy's like literally on top, it's like leave Sammy's <laughs> it's like okay I guess I'll leave get in the car Drive over here, and it's because you don't have that, it's not guided, right? It's not Gears of War four, where you have a hallway to to, to run down and this thing saying we got to go kill this thing. It's you have this world to play in, and, and they're, they don't have, they're not showing you the way with level design as much because the level is this huge city. Um, so I think the story gets hit for that, and then the combat and the, the driving and everything, it, it feels like. It's very admirable what I think this team did, but I think it, it, to me, it appears like it needs, I don't know how long game development really takes, but another five months, another two months of development. Everything feels just a little off to me. Like you hit a jump in your car and like there's no weight to it. It is kind of like I see my car go up and then come down. Um, It's also an unfair comparison that I'm playing this in concert with Forza Horizon 3, which is such incredible driving. (laughs) And now I'm, like, also driving around in open city, and I'm just like, yeah, this this driving, this sucks. Um, And then the shooting's the same way, where, like, it makes a cool, like, noise when you hit people. But I think, like you guys were saying, for Gears, I guess, it doesn't seem like they don't react per se. When I'm hitting them, my reticle doesn't change in any way, shape, or form to let me know if I'm on the character, which I feel like has kind of become a standard now, it like turns red or becomes tighter. So I sometimes I don't know if I'm hitting them or not. Um and then I seen some really cool gifts that make the combat look awesome where like, you know, he runs into a room, fires two shots, takes cover, jumps over cover, flanks around a guy, punches a guy, and I'm like, that looks awesome. And then I play the game and that's not how it is for me. It's like ping ping. Sit here. Oh, run over here. Ping ping. Run away. But uh overall, I think it's ambitious and cool and something that should be experienced. Um, I think it's a uh, wait for Black Friday. I don't think you need to rush out and play this game. What about you guys? Sean? Uh,
1: well, boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's see here. Um, in terms I was of race, very
0: quiet. All of Gears 4 I had a lot to say. <laughs> no, no, I, I
1: appreciate that. Um, I think that in terms of the race stuff, which uh, I think is... Really important to talk about because the I mean, they went out of their way The, in the same way that Assassin's Creed opens with, hey, there's people from all sorts of cultures and nations working on this game and it's all a work of fiction, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the developers of Mafia 3 put up an, a notice when you first launched the game, like saying, hey, we're going to be looking at this stuff. You're going to be hearing some stuff um and we felt like we'd be doing a disservice to pretend none of this ever happened especially if you're going to be playing a person of color so they they really do uh seem to indicate that they're taking it seriously and they they want you to know that they're not trying to be flippant with it uh whether or not they were succeeding i think is going to be pretty subjective Uh, my experience was that uh, and, and my experience with the criticism around the N-word and the way the game plays out is that um, I've played a lot of games that have the N-word. Like when I'm playing GTA, uh, well, most of the GTAs, there's a lot of N-word thrown around, but it's thrown around within people of the, the culture, generally speaking. It's from it's black people saying it to each other. What we're not used to is having that epitaph being thrown at us as players in a way that's not convivial, like in a way that's not like establishing that we have a relationship and we know each other. It's actually people telling me to go away and I don't like you because of the color of your skin. And I think that's a really hard thing and a very new thing for a gamer to experience. Most games do not go for this. Um, And so I think that it makes for a very, uh, I think it's going to take a long time to, to chew on and to settle in with. I think I don't know how I feel about it yet. I can say that, like there's there in mafia three, there's an option to go. You can go into the options and you can choose whether your takedowns are going to be lethal or non-lethal. And there's a mission early on where you're fighting a bunch of white supremacists and the way they talk to you and the way they treat uh, other uh, black people in the game and stuff. I like had a moment where I stopped and I paused the game because I'm a non-lethal guy. Like, you know, every game I play and I'm like, Nope. I went in, changed it to lethal for that mission. Wow. Because I like in that like I had a really visceral response to it. Um as an empathy engine, as well, not really a hundred percent empathy, obviously, there's a difference between experiencing it in a game and actually living with it, but as something to kind of shake up your perspective and really have to face it uh in a in a small way like this, I think is really valuable and I think it's really important. Um, what I'll be interested to see is how it maintains. I've played about four hours. I've been playing it on the PC. Um, and, and I'm just getting to that point where it's starting to break into that open world. It's getting yeah. out of there. Okay, go here now. You're learning. Go here, do this. Like they're starting to open it up now and starting to give me more autonomy in terms of what I'm going to do next. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if this was just a really front loaded four hours or if they're going to continue to explore this as the game progresses? Well,
2: Um, sadly, I think that's where the game falls apart (laughs) Uh, for for me at least. Um, And I think what you have said is, is so spot on and, and so well-spoken. I think it's hard for me to criticize this game because so few games are as ambitious narratively and, and subject matter wise as as this and I want to congratulate that. I want to uh, support that and I want more games to be that bold and, and courageous and feel like those kinds of stories can be told and can be successful in a video game world we don't ha- they don't all have to be Gears of War. You know, it can actually be about something. And the way this game presents its story, you know, I started this and I was like, "Oh my god, what if what if Grand Theft Auto was written by mature humans instead of a bunch of thirteen-year-old boys? That's what this game is like. What if actual grown-ups wrote these things? Uh, because it is presented in a really interesting way. It's all kind of flashbacks, and we're seeing, you know, this this case in retrospect, and it feels very cinematic and almost like you know an episode or a, like a Goodfellas type situation. Yeah,
1: it also feels like a documentary. Like yeah. Way they cut between real footage, yeah. uh, the, way they, the way they talk about your character like he's this force of nature, like he's this person who came into the scene and just uh, like a hurricane just just blew everything apart and restructured the entire uh, crime organizations. And the way they build that up before you even get in, before you even start doing things, makes your character feel less like a you know like a new kid in the mob. He's right. like yes sir right away and I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. <clears throat> so this guy has like a he, he feels powerful. Yeah, like I agree. A agency. And and the game actually the way they structure that and the way they have these talking heads talking about it in retrospect makes you really feel like you're in this sort of almost mythical story
2: rather than just something that's happening in real time. Right. And and it's it's impressive. I mean, there was a, the very first thing I did in this game, you start in this, you know, in the middle of this mission and I walked into a room and there's a person tied up to a chair and I walked up to him and it said Press B and I was like okay I'll press B I pressed B and I murdered him I shot him in the face and I was like oh I didn't mean to I didn't mean to press B that way I didn't know that that's what B was gonna do uh, and it really affected me and because of the context the way that the game had been had brought into the, me into this world and it felt so grounded as you said they use actual newsreel footage and it felt like oh my gosh we're talking about civil unrest and the 60s and and all of the things that post uh, Vietnam war Americans were dealing with and all of that stuff just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm ready to have this really nuanced, interesting experience. And then I'm literally just murdering thousands of people. I mean, the first few missions, you just go on a massive killing spree. And the whole game is that the whole game is murder every part of the mob. Well, that's what.
0: like, I'm not as deep into it as you are, but that I mean, even early on, as, uh, you know, Sean, I think where you're at, or will be soon, when it starts opening up, uh, you know, I, I kind of mainline games, so it opened up, and it's like, you can go over here and make money, and I was like, no, dude, I'm cool, <laughs> I want to see what this game's doing, and it does, it, it feels like... Um, yeah, I feel like my character as they present him in the, the prologue, which is, I think, really well done. And like you said, it's like it's like ESPN 30 for 30 or something like or, or the OJ documentary, like the way they're weaving this tale. It's really compelling. It's why I want a tighter narrative. I want to just watch this thing almost. Um, and then you get out there and I feel like I have all these I have motivations to do what I'm doing, but not what how I'm doing it. Right. I feel like my character could be smarter uh, would be more subtle, and maybe it's the way I'm playing him. I, I don't think it becomes an option, though. But it's just like, yeah, okay, everything's gonna burn. And you, well, just I think
2: go. I think the 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 thing that I'm trying to get to is this. It, again, we are slammed up into the convention of video game, slammed up against the ambition of narrative, and we, we talk about you know this Ludo narrative dissonance and all that stuff. But I think it's even more pronounced here because the game itself, it it, it feels so GTA from, you know, 2002 or whatever. It, it is, it really bums me out. I wish they had just stuck to what actually the first Mafia was, which is basically just an adventure game in an open world setting. And all of the, all of the GTA-esque game stuff is by far less interesting than what the game is trying to do narratively. And I, I it's like, oh, here's this really cool story, uh, amazingly acted. I mean, the voice acting in this game is
0: tremendous. And the face animation. I think some yeah. of the graphics on PS4 are kind of lousy, like the textures, but those cutscenes or the close-ups on faces, this is it's like LA Noir like yeah. they, they could make LA Noir 2 with this tech.
2: It is it, all the
0: presentation
2: of those scenes, how they're directed, how they're acted, all that stuff is so high quality, and I feel like I'm watching this really amazing film or TV show. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then I'm and then I'm thrust into gameplay that feels out of date, blunt, really no nuance to it at all. I very yeah. rote. Uh, I, I disagree with that.
1: I, I think that the gameplay in Mafia 3 is actually quite good. Um, uh, Mafia 2, for example, actually had really good gunplay. Um, and Mafia 3, I think, builds on that to some degree. Um, I I think their approach to stealth is actually quite good, especially for an open world game. Um, I, I find myself doing most missions stealthily. I find myself actually not just gunning everybody down. I'm, I'm doing a lot of sneaking around and choking people, which... I have a certain bias. I really enjoy sneaking around and choking people in games. It's something I'll do if I'm given the option to. I feel like there's a lot of that there, and I think that the they've got a good mix of open shooting, cover-based mechanics. Um, I, I can. It does feel a bit rote in the sense that it's an open-world, third-person shooting game. So I, it does feel like pretty much all the other ones, but I don't think they do it poorly. I don't think they. I don't think it's a step back. I feel like it's just a fairly well-executed version of something we've done a lot in the last, let's say 10 years.
0: I think it's missing. I I want to split the difference between you two. I, I think it has that, but it's missing the polish that a rockstar game often has, or that some of the, the finer versions of these games come with. It's like, Oh, the thing is there, but something like, whether for me, it's like the reticle, not changing or like the weight of the car, not feeling right. It's like all the stuff is there, but it's not quite polished to a shine that makes it all come together. Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm. I'm curious uh, with the car driving, do you play regular or simulated? I tried both. I've
0: defaulted back to regulate, uh, regulator. Regulator. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I defaulted back to regular, but I I played with simulated some. That didn't make it more fun. <laughs> no, simulated
1: makes it more uh, drifty and spinny and squealy. In fact, uh, I found simulated the simulated driving model made it made the game feel actually a little bit more like Driver. Huh. you remember Driver from the, place? was that PlayStation or PlayStation 2? I think it was PlayStation 2. It, it kind of makes me feel like the car feels a little bit out of control, but not in necessarily an unfun way. Like I've been playing Forts as well, and I've, I found Mafia 3's driving to be fine. Like again, like most of the gameplay stuff in it, I haven't come out feeling like, oh, they're doing this really poorly. I just kind of come out feeling like, yeah, it's an open world game, and this is what you get. And the stealth's pretty good. So you know what? For what it's doing, I think it does it.
2: Recently. I I agree that the stealth for me is is the most fun part, and it's kind of something you don't really get in a GTA game. Um, so I, I think it's a cool addition, and and the way you can go about it is neat. I didn't. I should check the options about uh, non lethal kills because I just felt like I was murdering everybody. But oh no, no, even...
1: just non lethal. You will choke a lot of people out. You will not stab them.
2: <laughs> I <laughs> that's the not even kills
1: my... are genuinely make me feel very squeamish. <laughs> That knife.
2: Oh, it is. It's yeah. But that's not even really the biggest part. The chat room is going crazy about me criticizing the the murder aspect. And I understand we're in a video game. It's a shooter. You shoot people. That's what you do. I, I just felt like it is the same in the kind of the same criticism we had for Gears of War. It's it's the same thing that I did in GTA three, right there. They don't. There's nothing more interesting to do in this open world than what you do in this game. And I get, I guess it's just because that's the genre we're working in here is a very specific template for what open world crime game is. And, you know, when the first mafia came out, I remember it very well. Uh, GTA was not available on PC. And so this was like our GTA was PC players. It was like, Oh, we, we get a a GTA type game. Um, and and i i know it's still sort of following in its in those footsteps of of grand theft auto but i felt like as groundbreaking as they were trying to be from a narrative perspective i just wanted there to be something more interesting happening in a gameplay perspective and i don't think that the open world is taken advantage of in any interesting way there's there's more different stuff to do in a gta game than there is in in this game there's i don't know i i just I was hoping I, I for more.
1: Not actually. I, I, um, Mafia. The original Mafia is one of my all times. Like it's one of my all time favorites.
2: Yeah, uh, if you can get past that first race car mission. Oh God, I cheated. Right?
1: That was brutal. Brutal. Um, uh, nonetheless, like in terms of its story and what it delivered for its time, is it very good. I do not think it would hold up well at all. And one of the main criticisms with Mafia too, was that it was this huge open world with nothing to do in it but missions like yeah. just driving from one mission plot point to the next with right. nothing in between so mafia 3 seems to be trying to address that whether or not they're they're whether or not they're uh, hitting the mark is is I guess we'll have to see once we finish it up but um but yeah it's it's on some level I feel like mafia 3 gets dinged a bit because it's trying to be a more uh, a, a more standard open world game amongst what's a very cool narrative, uh, a way to deliver a narrative and some really interesting character work and camera work and voice acting uh, and a time and place that's also really interesting and a banging soundtrack. Oh my God, oh, the soundtrack yeah. is so good. Well, when you I'm, have I'm the late 60s... so much money on that.
2: When you have the late 60s to work with, you know, you got some really great music. Really know? good. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm not as down on the game as it sounds. I just... I just wish it was better. I just wish it was more fun to play. It's as fun to play as it is to watch. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll I'll just mention real quick as far as the PC port goes. uh, When they, when 2K put it out, limited to 30 frames a second, uh, crashing issues for some people. So basically, a typical 2K PC release. Um, So they put out a patch uh, just this past week, or just like, uh, Yesterday. like within 24 hours yeah. um, to unlock the frame rate, which does work. Uh, and uh, nonetheless, like I feel like compared to, well, compared to Gears of War four, there's, there's some muddy textures here and there. There's like some of the, there's some stuff like the way the sky box looks, the way the trees look like it's got a very, it's definitely got a style to it. It's not necessarily a really hot looker when you're out in the open world. Um, it's, it's fine, but um, it's, it's definitely not super amazing looking. Um, but uh, I was actually, when we were talking about like Infinite Warfare being so big, I looked, Mafia 3 is 46 gigs. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious now to go back through my games where I feel like they do high end resolutions and textures really well and start to look at all these different game sizes. Because I'm starting to wonder uh,
2: how big these games
1: are getting and how much that has to do with the graphical fidelity.
2: I think the game looks really, really good on PC. I've been playing on PC as well. I, I, overall, I was pretty impressed with how it looked. A lot of variety, um, really pretty city. You know, this it just a, it's a you know, is a pretty city. Um, and I kept thinking, you know, I just had had my son not too long ago. And I kept thinking he's going to grow up in a world where this is like the worst video games will look. You know the he's uh, are people even going to care about good quote unquote good graphics you know like all of our generation we're like oh man the game has really great graphics that's just going to be expected it's just not going to be any comment on how good the graphics are because graphics will always have been good
1: well i i think the moment when games came out from uh, we're starting to see more and more games that are like really really low on the graphical s- scale uh, as an art choice yeah uh, rather than as a necessarily of necessarily just a budgetary restriction, but actually as a way because they want to convey something, I think that that marked a, a shift in how we think about graphics and, and all of a sudden something that doesn't necessarily look good is a choice right. rather than a limitation.
2: It's art design now, not just uh, art direction. Yeah. Not just, uh, yeah. Um, all right, we're, we're, I know we're going super long. Let me just thank our second sponsor, Mac Weldon. You've heard me talk about Mac Weldon because – I wear it. I'm wearing it right now. I'm sitting in my uh, boxers doing the show. That's how I do things. That's how I uh, do the show is wearing my boxers. You don't need to know that, but now you do. And the good news is I'm wearing Mac Weldon's. So that means I'm probably super comfortable, probably smell pretty good. I, I can tell you uh, that the, the, the underwear that they sell at Mack Weldon, antimicrobial, that means it eliminates odor. That means uh, smell pretty good. I gotta, I've got to give myself a little sniff right now. <laughs> smell pretty good. Also, uh, they're super comfy. If I'm going to be a- anywhere where comfort is a-, is a factor, where I need to sit around a long time, I'm going to reach for my Mac Weldon underpants. They're better than whatever you're wearing right now. And we're going to give you 20% off of Mac Weldon. They do not just underwear, socks, shirts, uh, your basics, basically your basics. And uh, they're super comfy. They smell good. They're high-end Good quality basics. Everybody needs good underpants. You, know, you can get your, your boxers, your briefs, your boxer briefs, your brief boxers. Anything you need, 20% off. All you got to do is go to MackWeldon.com. M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Use our promo code DLC at checkout. Get your 20% off your order and you can upgrade your underpants, your undershirts, your socks. Really slick socks too. I got some MacWeldon Weldon socks. They are nice. They're good looking. Those little details, people notice them. So go to MacWeldon.com, use our promo code DLC, get yourself 20% off at checkout. Okay, guys, um, I want to hit on uh, Paper Mario a little bit. Been playing that a bit um, because these massive releases are coming out and the Wii U, I plugged it back in, guys. It still works. My Wii U still works. I was so pleased to find that out. Um, and Color Splash, I've been a big Paper Mario fan for a long time I love that Paper Mario aesthetic I love that it's a thing, like, it's such a weird interesting Mario concept that they've run with and I love the sort of Mario role playing game and all of the combat in Paper Mario, that turn based Japanese role playing game style combat, so great Color Splash takes it to a different place in that the, basically the bad guys in the Mario world or the shy guys, or whatever they are, have been stealing color from the land, from the island, with straws. They just uh, suck the color through straws, and it turns everything black and white. But luckily, Mario's hammer has been infused by a magic talking paint can to be able to spew uh, paint on the things that he smacks with a hammer. But it's a finite amount of paint. You gotta collect paint all around. You gotta pick up little paint globules that fall out of stuff that you break, pick up paint globules, fill your uh, paint can hammer, and then smack black and white things until they have color, saving all of the toad people in the land. Sounds pretty conventional. Nothing weird about that at all. Uh, It's actually really fun. And my goodness, a high-definition Paper Mario looks so good. That crispness really just pops. The color and the the crispness of the the two dimensional paper people and the paper world that you're in really clever, really clever ideas of the paper world and how things play. There's a sequence where like somebody bends the whole paper world into a crumple and you have to uncrumple it basically uh, by smacking it with your paint hammer. Um, There's a lot to like. I mean, it's a, it's a Mario game. So you're going to be, you know, pushing a through tons of very slow scrolling text but at least it's written in a clever way man that is annoying to just a through text all the time when are they going to get rid of that convention in nintendo games but again at least it's written well uh little kind of cute funny humor stuff and the central mechanic of running around and smacking stuff with your paint hammer because the way the paint just sort of spews everywhere out of your out of your hammer it's really really satisfying on a very basic level of just like just drenching things in paint that comes shooting out of this hammer. The combat, though, which you do a lot of in this game, for some reason has been switched over to a card-based mechanic where you collect these cards that give you attacks. And I guess because they're still trying to justify the Wii U gamepad, what happens when you get into combat is your gamepad changes to a display of all the cards you have. You reach down with your finger, you select a card that is the attack that you want, a jump attack or a hammer attack, or maybe a double jump attack or whatever. You select that card, you swipe up with that card. Now you've selected that card. Now you want to add paint to that card because most of the cards come black and white. Adding paint adds power to your attacks. So you press the card and hold down for as long as you want to add paint to the card. It's kind of unclear as to how much power Paint what's the power to paint ratio. But it basically, if you have paint, you're gonna fill up the whole card. At least that's what I do. I I guess there's some strategy in filling up partial paint, or if you only have enough paint to fill up partial. It's just not clear as to what benefit that gives you or not gives you. Anyway, you paint your card by holding down your finger, and then you flick the card forward to engage the attack. Then you look up at the screen, you see if it worked, see if it killed the guy push your A button to interact on the jumps, to time your jumps the way you've always done in Paper Mario, and then you're back to your Wii screen, selecting a card with your finger, swiping up to select that card, painting the card with your finger, pushing it, holding it down. Oh, sometimes you get pre-painted cards that you loot, but guess what? You still have to go through the step of going to the paint and selecting done painting. Even though it's pre-painted, there's no possibility that you would need to paint it. You still have to select done Then you flick it up to attack, back to the screen. It is so tedious, guys. It is so tedious to fight. And you do so much fighting. And it's all because they had this idea that you needed to use the Wii Pad. There's no need to use the Wii Pad for this. It doesn't add any fun. It doesn't add any functionality. It doesn't create a more interesting experience in any way. It's just an arbitrary use of a touchpad. For no reason that extends the time it takes to do any attacks, any combat at all. And it's such a distraction and such a bummer to what is really a delightful gaming experience otherwise. But Ugh. it's such a bummer.
1: Yeah, That's a huge bummer. I, I, the, the Paper Mario series sort of left me behind a long time ago. Uh, I just never felt like, at least looking at it, I never felt like it had the depth necessarily I was looking for. Do you feel like this is something that's being targeted at kids? Like, do you have a sense of an age group?
2: In the sense that all Nintendo games are targeted at kids? You know, I mean, it's very... relatively. Yeah, it's very much that sort of all ages, just uh, wholesome, silly, very light. um, That Nintendo thing, where Mario games, the fiction is like, Oh, no, Mario, you got to get us out of here. You know, it's all that... Works for kids, but adults can have a little giggle as well, I guess. But mostly it's just get through the story so I can have fun looking at the colorful world, engaging and smacking stuff with my color hammer, which is really kind of fun. Uh, I like the game a lot, actually. It pops on my, you know, high-def TV. It looks so sharp and great. And the the levels are really interesting. I mean, later on, there's another touchscreen thing where you get, like, scissors, That lets you cut out parts of the world and you just trace them with your finger on the touchpad because that's something you can do with a touchpad. It's all so shoehorned in. I guess kids enjoy that more than I would, but I think even kids would find it a little tedious. I don't know. That's Paper Mario. Um, We're running a little long, but do you guys want to talk any any about uh, Forza 3?
0: John, have you have you played Forza 3 Horizon? Yeah.
1: I, I'm not a big Forza guy. Um or no, I've I've played a lot of them, I should say. I skip every one or two. Uh so Forza 3, Forza Horizon 3, I I just it was an impulse buy. Uh in the sense that on impulse I wanted to buy it, and it took me about 24 hours to figure out the Microsoft store so I could actually buy it and put it on my PC. Uh, but, uh, once I did actually get to get it on there and I played around with it, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the main Forza games are too much of a simulation for me, uh, and Horizon, I think does strike a really nice balance where I feel like I'm playing a real racing game. I feel like I've got some real skill going on, uh, and yet I can do wacky things. Like if it's an, as a crow flies race, I can just cut across the field. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. I can do that. Um, I really enjoyed that aspect of it and I like the open world stuff. So it's been a nice listen to podcast chill out game for me i couldn't really tell you like if the audi or the bmw or like if they feel right or anything like that i just pick a car based on what i think looks good and then i go drive around in it more or less uh and it for what it for that it it actually works quite well for someone like me who's just barely
0: skimming the surface of most racing games yeah all i want to add to it this i mean i still really enjoy the game i just want to I point out, I don't know if uh, I'm a hypocrite is the right thing or not, but it's interesting how I oftentimes on this show talk about my uh, distaste or my problems with open world games. And again, with Forza Horizon series and Forza Horizon 3, I'm totally comfortable having it be an open world game and like drive around the world and look for the dumb billboard to smash, which, you know, is just like any other collectible in any other open world game. And so people have been tweeting at me and asking me like, why do you like this? But you don't like that one. I'm, they were doing it nicer than that. I don't know. Why I put ne- negativity like, what about this makes you enjoy it? And I think it's the um, kind of going back to the no man's sky. Why? I like that. It's the lack of a, a real story or compelling narrative to like, it's not like, Christian, you need to open up this third festival or the world's going to explode. It's just like, hey, dude, and you get enough fans, come over to the Outback. We'll have a bigger party. And I'm like, Cool. Dope. Still having fun over here at this surface paradise, but I'll get to you. Um, and then I just don't
2: want pressure. You just don't want to be pressured.
0: Well, I don't want plot to make it feel like I need to do something while instead I'm like, cool, I will go save my son. But first I'm going to get some XP for smashing this billboard that's hidden in this person's house. First, I'm going to smash their fence to get there. (laughs) Um, and then the other aspect of it that I enjoy is I like driving. I am a car guy. So it's more fun for me to explore this world and do dumb stuff in uh, a Dodge Challenger Hellcat than it is a knight walking in a suit of armor. So like those are the things that that keep me coming back to this game as, and I use it much like Sean does as a a chill out, listen to podcasts and just kind of hang out kind of game. But still loving it. Cool.
2: All right, let's move on. I know we're running long, but I want to get to a little bit of VR talk. I always love having you on the show Sean because you are uh in the VR world with me um you've got your vibe we have talked about it at length what are you playing lately
1: uh the only thing I've gotten to lately like I said I've been in sort of this cool down lull with the vibe uh no. just because a lot of projects I'm really interested in are still baking they got these uh they're updating almost on the daily and at some point I was like okay like I'm actually quite busy with my day job and everything else too. So I've just decided to let things bake for a while, especially since we have all these big AAA games coming out to play as well. Um, nonetheless, though, the, the one thing I did get into was uh, Vanishing Realms. Oh God, um, that's my favorite one. That's my
2: favorite Vanishing one. Vanishing
1: Realms is really good. And they came out with an update about a few weeks ago that complete, they added some new levels, added some more content, and then they also completely rewrote the combat engine. Um, so if you... There's one played- guy.
2: One guy making that game.
1: Oh, so I shouldn't even be saying they. That's amazing. Like it feels, it's one of the most complete feeling games out there. Yes. Um, So he put in a new thing called warrior mode that when you enable it, it makes the sword combat uh, against the enemies uh, a lot more uh, flowing. Uh, So basically you've got, uh, your right hand would be like the sword if that's what you grab it with and your left hand could be like a shield. And so when you approach a skeleton to fight it, right, you got to remember like all, VR always sounds so, Dumb when you're talking about it. it sounds like a lame Game but when you're actually in there So when I say you have to When you fight you have to walk up to a skeleton He is eye level with you He's the same size as you are And he has these different attacks, overhead, underhand, circling around and like doing these big swings at you. It's almost like Mike Tyson's punch out. And so you're trying to block him and you're looking for the opening and then swinging your sword in a one to one way, trying to hit those openings as he's doing his attack animations. And he'll block you. You'll block him. You'll react and respond. I've had like five minute sword fights with one skeleton. (laughs) Like so where, where awesome. I'm just like trying to get through his defense and he's trying to get through my defense and I'm sweating, I'm yelling. <laughs> um, and, uh, and like my wife could attest, like I am screaming at this thing by the time I'm done. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, and it's just like, it's fighting one skeleton. Yeah. Um, so that combat update, even though it's VR, you don't have that tactile feeling of when you hit something it doesn't vibrate your arm or anything but they do a really good job of you can't just stick your sword in his general area and wiggle it around like it's only going to count if you give it a good full swing so it really and when you block somebody it kind of the way the sound and the way it bounces off even though you don't get that physical uh that physical feedback you still have a good sense of where things are why you hit or didn't hit the enemies have good animations to reflect where they're swinging or how they're being hit. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really good. And, and, and it just makes me uh, very excited for what the future holds. Like, it's, yeah. that's one guy who just figured it out and did a really good job of it. And we're seeing a lot of other games now that are doing similar. So we get so many tech demos and things. Somebody's going to nail this perfectly uh, in the same
2: way that longbow nailed bow and arrow really, really well. Yeah, I always talk about Vanishing Realms as like, have you ever wanted to be Link from Legend of Zelda? Guess what? That's that game. That's that's the experience of feeling like you are Link. Because uh, it's got that wonderful cartoony aesthetic. And I mean, just inside Vanishing Realms, just like looking inside a stump of a log and finding a treasure is like the most thrilling, exciting thing. Because you are physically looking inside a log stump and physically reaching in and grabbing a treasure out of it. It's awesome. Yeah
1: yeah it's so good uh yeah so that that's that's been my that's been my go to I've just about finished it and uh yeah there's
2: been some really cool scenarios in that too it's been really neat uh I got a chance to to play uh a game from ninja theory actually uh it's a it was a game jam game that they made in just a few hours the the folks from ninja theory uh for Vive. it's called dext uh and it's awesome it's really fun i mean it's a very simple idea it's basically uh, Panzer Dragoon or Res, in the sense that you are painting uh, targets and then releasing your gun to release the bullets, you know, how you would do in those games. Um, but the the trick here is that one of your Vive controllers is fire. The other of your Vive controllers is ice. You're moving through these levels, just like in Panzer Dragoon uh, on rails. You're kind of in these really beautiful, vibrant environments. You're moving through on rails And then you see fire and ice uh, enemies around you or fire and ice nodes or, you know, fire and ice projectiles, whatever it is. And you have to use the opposite one. So it kind of messes with your brain. When you see fire, you have to use your ice shots. And when you see ice, you have to use your fire shots. And if you shoot the wrong one, you get penalized. It'll mess you up. They'll, They'll shoot back at you but you're trying to string together these point combos by painting the right colored thing. And of course, sometimes there'll be strings of enemies that are like fire, fire, ice, fire, fire. So you like paint and then you've got to skip over the one in the middle and then paint the other two. All the while you're moving through, they're moving. uh, Pretty cool. And it's because it's so beautiful. uh, The game is really, really fun. I I thought it was, again, you know, smallish game. It was a game jam game that they made in a few hours, but proof of how... A very, very familiar concept works really, really well in VR. I also want to read quickly uh, an email that we got at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Jonathan. He says, Hey there, Jeff Christian and guest. I've been a gamer since the early days of NES and have bought into every generation of consoles since. For a while, I've been a listener to the VR segments, and I thought to myself, I wouldn't buy in since I have the PS Move which I rarely use anymore. I want the tech to improve from its infancy and the cost to drop a little bit. I'm of the mind that it may also be a little gimmicky. Remember the power glove? Well, that is until three days ago. The mall here in Ottawa, Canada, has one of the PlayStation VR road shows. And in listening to Jeff Christian and your guests of the week gush about how awesome VR is, I really wanted to try it out and see what all the fuss is about. Well... It has been four days now, and I've been back to try more games each and every day. Maybe I just love VR now. I really want the other listeners who may be undecided to jump into VR to make an effort to get to a roadshow and try PSVR. And not just take the word of you. Although you speak the truth. It really is a try-before-you-buy scenario. I tried as many as I could. Battlezone, which feels like I'm in the world of Tron and is so cool... Ocean Descent, which is breathtaking, Eve Valkyrie, which is a a teaser for just how gobsmacking the X-Wing mission in Battlefront could be, and Headmaster is deceivingly hard. It's the soccer goal simulator. He goes on to say he's frustrated that uh, the EB Games in his area um, only had a few pre-orders and it looks like all of the employees uh, used them up. And he, he's hoping that uh, Sony can see how popular the product is and uh, get more, more of them out there because he wanted to pre-order it and it's all sold out. So he says, VR is an amazing thing. Let's hope Sony will do the right thing and make them more available. Sincerely, Jonathan. I thought that was cool. Uh, and I, I, I agree. I, I, have you, has that been your experience, Sean, is that uh, people who try it like it?
1: Yeah, I, I've yet to have anybody say shrug. Uh, yeah. After they try it out, um, everybody's pretty into it. I'm, um, I'm, I'm very, very, even just from a social dynamics perspective, I'm really interested to see what PlayStation VR and the news and the talk around it looks like in January. Mm, like, I'm yeah. really curious to see once we get through, you know, Black Friday and Christmas and all that other stuff. I'm really interested to see what kind of impact this has on the zeitgeist. If we're still going to be in for a slow steady march on VR or if there's going to be a big, if this is going to be a big cresting wave in popularity and if it's going to kind of amount to something in the long run in terms of
2: where the industry's at and how it's growing. Christian, what's your current status as far as whether or not you're going to keep your pre-order for PlayStation VR?
0: Oh, uh, it's still kept shipping soon. I'm, uh, I, uh. that sounds about right. Uh, I really want status. Uh. I really want to play Rez. I really want to play Batman. I know it's only 90 minutes or whatever. Um, There are experiences on it that I really want to play. It's just... I I mean... I don't want to say again that you were wrong saying that free things don't influence your opinion on something. Um, If Sony were sending me a review copy that I were keeping, I would be so excited for Thursday, knowing that I'm going to take a $580, whatever it ends up being, with tax hit when I get this thing for these experiences... I just don't know. I mean, that's th- these experiences are great, but and again, I hate being the person that puts a dollar value on entertainment or, or whatever, but you know, I have a very real budget that I live in and I don't know, reading the reviews, it's like it works, but there some people had extreme nausea, like worse than other headsets. Other people think that, you know, the move controllers and the camera is just like the headsets great, but the old tech that supports the headset is kind of garbage and like the worst of any of these headsets
2: um i just want to be clear i don't want people to misunderstand what you said i'm not getting a free version of the
0: oh no no correct yes you are not i just meant our our talk before about do right. review copies change your opinion on something um uh I, it's just like what i what i what do i really want jeff as i really want i wanted oculus connect to talk more about uh <laughs> the, how they're including diversity and kind of Um, champion that instead of doing like the five minute talk they did about it. Uh, So I want to be able to get behind my Oculus again. And then I want to find out that Batman Arkham only has like a six month exclusivity window on PSVR. And then I'll just be happy with what I have. (laughs) Dude, (laughs) that's my dream. (laughs) Tell me
2: that. Tell me those games that they showed at Oculus Connect weren't rad. Robo Recall looks so fun.
0: I'm not going to talk about them. I knew you wouldn't.
2: Okay. All right. Let's move on. We are running so, so long. uh, But I want to hear real quickly a little bit of tabletop time. But first, let me thank Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super-fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now... Linode offers two gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including 5x5. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode. Getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit Linode.com slash 5x5 today to support the show and use promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit. Linode! Simple, powerful, Reliable. Right now, right now. Uh, I, I just wanted to. We haven't done tabletop time in a couple of weeks. Uh, I haven't been playing much lately, but I want to hear because you're here, Sean. You played Seafall? You, know, you know, have you touched it? Have you seen it? Have you played it?
1: Well, if you pre-ordered from Plaid Hat Games, if you're in the United States, there's a good chance you're going to be receiving your copy if you haven't already. Uh, I pre-ordered from Plaid Hat, and I'm in Canada, so I have not seen my copy yet. Okay. Um, I, I only put it on... I mean, there's there's a couple self-serving reasons I put it on. Um, one is because Rob Davio, who uh, has developed it, uh, is a good good friend of mine, and I want to support him. Um, and I did actually help playtest Seafall Legacy for years years ago, um, and so it's it's been I've been really excited for it to come out uh, and and to kind of see how it does with people. Um, and the other fun thing about it is that I'm actually an unlock in it. Uh, Are you really? <laughs> yeah, my it's face so is rad. in there. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, people who play tested it, who are in the game, like on those character cards. Uh, so I, I'm the navigator. Uh, so I'm I'm one of the unlocks. Oh, uh,
2: how cool is that?
1: It's fun. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing it. I don't know when. Uh, I don't know like when it's actually hitting shelves, but it should be pretty soon at this point.
2: Uh, I had the wonderful distinction to be in a board game as well. There's a game called Age of Soccer. And uh, it's a it's a board game about playing soccer, and one of the characters is named Kanata, and uh, he looks like me. He looks like a chubby version of me.
1: Ah, uh, um, that's that's adorable. He's got yeah. he's like it's like your baby. He's yeah, like chubby, <laughs> chubby version of Jeff. It's nice.
2: Yeah, uh, that's amazing, dude. I cannot wait to play Seafall. Of course, it's the next Legacy game, as you said, from Rob Davio, who did uh, you know uh, Risk Legacy and uh, Pandemic, Pandemic Legacy. Um, which are two of the greatest gaming experiences I've ever had on on the table and uh, this one we've talked about it we had Rob on the show too and and he talked a little bit about it but just to remind people it's the it's basically a 4x game explore expand uh, exploit and what's the last exterminate, Ex- exterminate I think you're right um, anyway so it's a massive creation whereas the other, Legacy games were built on the backs of existing board games and modified. This is from the ground up, built a entirely new kind of game, his own creation, and then also legacyized it so that it evolves as you play it. Uh, which sounds just wildly ambitious and cool. Um, how would you, I don't know if you're able to talk about your, you know, playtesting experience, but was it frustrating at all? Like to to play a game in various states of its creation.
1: Uh, frustrating is not, you got to have the right attitude. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's like, you're going to break it, right? Like, so that, so at some point it almost becomes this funny kind of cooperative experience where you're seeing how long you can keep the machine running yeah. until it all falls apart. Like until somebody does something so unexpected that it just, the whole thing just completely. So, and, and it's really kind of fun too, when you're playtesting for a really smart game designer, because you, you'll play it once. And he's like, Oh, like he kind of sees the matrix. He's like, okay, then he takes the whole thing away, and then two hours later he puts it in front of you again, and it's completely different. <laughs> you know, or he's, or you pull a card, and he's like, "Oh no, I don't." Know. He snatches it out of your hand, and he scratches that out, and he writes something on it, hands it back to you, and then you do <laughs> that instead. So it's it's kind of a, it's kind of like the, it's like you're sitting in a room, and it's being built around you almost. So wow. is it frustrating if you were, if I was in a position to be like a professional playtester, like I feel people who do Q and A on video games, like. Like there's a part in Gears of War Four that was so frustrating. Uh, my uh, Corey Banks and I were playing the co-op, and it, we we were so frustrated at it. And I was thinking, like, if I was in Q and A, I probably would have had to play this frustrating thing for like weeks, if not yeah. months.
2: Oh yeah. Um, so board games. It was probably bad. more frustrating when the Q and A person was playing it. Oh it was... my god! Right? <laughs> they, they do good
1: work for us, and they're so unsung. Um, but in board games, it's like it, it's kind of fun, and a lot of times the way you break it is so funny. So it's it's a neat experience.
2: That's awesome. All right. Very brief uh, tabletop time this week, but uh, we will be back next week talking about more games. Let's wrap up the show now. Uh, we do have our parting gift coming at you very soon, so stick around for that. But I do want to thank Sean Andrich for being with us. Sean, always awesome to be able to get you, and thank you for so much, so much for uh, giving up your day off to, to hang out with us.
1: Oh, it's, it's absolutely my, my pleasure. It's a, it's a highlight of the long weekend for sure.
2: Cool. Let's uh, let people know where they can keep up with you and the awesome stuff that's happening over at Gamers with Jobs. Uh, yeah, you can go to
1: gamerswithjobs.com. That's our main hub for all that stuff. We do the uh, conference call podcast. We're just wrapping up our RPG podcast called The Unmarked, uh, which actually Rob Davio has been our GM for that. And that's been a really fun time of collaborative storytelling. Uh, we're about two or three episodes away from being complete on the story, so it's like awesome. you'll have you'll be able to download it all and just listen to a, very, a complete story from beginning to end with no fear that we're going to abandon it or something like that halfway through. So um, that's been really cool to do. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want to hit me on Twitter, it's at uh, CERTIS, C-E-R-T-I-S, don't ask why.
2: <laughs> uh, I always say this when you're on, but Gamers with Jobs was my first home, on, When I, the first community I found uh, many, many years ago. I, I, first time I felt like I was with my own folks on on a website and uh for that it's always had a very special place in my heart so well thank you my first uh, my first world of warcraft guild was the gamers with jobs guild uh, yeah good people there uh christian how about you what do you got going on this week
0: I don't know when it comes out or if it's live or not, and I think I can say it. If not, sorry, uh, but I'm doing something with the uh, kind of the, some of the Screen Junkies crew this week. I don't know if it means it will come out this week or not. I know you've worked with some of those guys, and they do fun, good stuff. I love Hal and a lot of the content they create. So if it's not live this this week, um, look for it soon after that, I guess. I know some other shows they kind of release as seasons and the like, but there should be some cool stuff that you'll see me in over there. Um, still, I'm playing a lot of these games on Twitch, not full playthroughs, I'm not doing walkthroughs of the games, but if you want to you know, see Mafia 3, when I get my regular, boring, didn't pay $100 copy of uh, Gears 4, I'll be firing that up this week, um, along with all the other fall releases, it's twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer, and uh, archived over on YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713 and um, November fifteenth, I will be recording my second comedy album in San Diego at La Stats, which is three three four three Adams Avenue in San Diego. Um, we're all gonna die. It's a uh, free to get in, all ages. The, the material is probably not appropriate for all ages. I will be swearing. It will that will be blue, but you know, all ages are welcome. And it's November fifteenth in San Diego. So if you are there or around. Um, or know people that are, mark your calendars and come out to the show. I'd love to include your laugh or your arms-folded disdain <laughs> on the album.
2: Uh, what about you? I think if you if you end up doing a third album, Arms-Folded
0: Disdain is not a bad title. It's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably the title for this album if it doesn't get released, because there will be too much of that. <laughs> but it could be the excellent title of this episode of the podcast. If that's a like. good
2: point, too, yeah. Uh, you know that you can always follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada, spelled with two N's and one T and I've got other shows for you to check out too, why not listen to me talk about movies over at the slash filmcast at slash filmcast.com or a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com right, let's wrap the show up with our parting gift
0: Hey, give us a suggestion of
2: Sean, do you have something to recommend people check out to get them through their week?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it's already been mentioned in the past, but uh, it's it's kind of new to me. I've just finished up, or I'm about to finish up, Luke Cage. I'm on the last episode, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's been so good. And actually, watching Luke Cage in concert with playing Mafia Three, it's been very interesting. I've I've really been enjoying the uh, seeing seeing the world through that. To that perspective um and luke cage has just been just been so much fun and so many great twists and turns in the plot it's so unexpected at times uh they do a lot
2: of really good things uh with luke Cage on netflix awesome i'm behind i have not i have not yet started luke cage but i am excited to do so christian how about you
0: you got a parting gift have you ever watched daredevil season two jeff I still, I still haven't finished season two, no. So you're not so. that excited. <laughs> oh, I'm excited for Luke Cage. I've heard
2: Luke Cage is actually way better than season two of Daredevil.
0: It's very good. It's different. It's very good. Um, my parting gift is giving Jeff a hard time. No, um, That's thinking. your always parting gift. Well, Nemesis. That's your
2: arriving gift. <laughs> well,
0: I play my role of the Resident Evil franchise well. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, Kyle Canane, I think, is one of the funniest people in the world. And he has, uh, I think, two albums out already, two specials out. His new one, Loose in Chicago, it airs on Comedy Central on October 15th. So depending on when you're listening to this, you know, if you're running a little behind on podcasts, maybe it's already out. I have not seen this or heard this special. I did see him working on it some and seeing some of the bits that are in it. And um, I think just from that, it's easy for me to recommend Kyle Kinane's Loose in Chicago. <sighs> You probably
2: don't need me to recommend Westworld to you. You've probably heard about it already, but just in case you haven't actually given it a watch, it's the new HBO show. I think they want it to be their next Game of Thrones, and boy, I'm hooked already. I think it's particularly interesting to bring up on this show because it's basically about video games. It's basically about the idea of what could a giant role-playing game in the real world be like. And if you've ever played an MMO or any role-playing game, really, I think you will be so intrigued by the sort of gamer philosophy that this show is wrapped around. Uh, The the creators have talked about being influenced by Red Dead Redemption and uh, Bioshock and a whole lot of other cool games. And I think, for me, some of the best parts of it are the ramifications of what it's like to have this full, real-world live-action role-playing game. Uh, and, man, what an awesome production they put together with really cool cast. So check it out. It's on HBO. Uh, and You can watch it online, too. Like HBO Go and HBO Now. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to Sean Andrich and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room who have really contributed uh, to this show. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us on a Monday morning. You can always do so. We record at 11 a.m. Pacific time on Mondays and stream through Christian's Twitch channel. That's twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And uh, those of you that downloaded the episode, we appreciate you as well. Thanks for uh, rating us kindly on your platform of choice and re- recommending us to your friends. We will be nec- uh, We will be next week back. Yes, we will. Next week back. Uh, We'll be back next week (laughs) with more awesome fall games to talk about. Don't forget to vote! And register to vote. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.